welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, I'm Tyler, and before I start this next episode, I wanted to ask a quick favor of you. If you've loved this podcast and want to help support this podcast at no cost to you, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us adjust and boost our algorithm ranking, our viewership numbers, and just expand this show as far as we possibly can. It's been a joy to run this show. I'm just seeing where else we could take it because I have a lot of plans for the summer. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, I will be your best friend forever. All right, moving on from that, I have to tell all of you a really fun and surreal experience I had this last week. I had an audition slash casting for a, uh, let's call it a healthcare type business. It was at another agency here in Denver, and it involved, you know, certain people, uh, mainly the, the men, to be shirtless because they were going to show your body if you were cast in this uh, this commercial. So <laughs> I go in, and I'm not a model by any means. I don't consider myself a model. I uh, I can't even eat around models, much less, you know, like take my shirt off and act like I'm I'm Joe Sexy over here. So <laughs> I have to tell you how this went because I showed up super early to the casting. Within five minutes, everybody else was there because we all want to get in, get out, and get on with our Friday afternoon. So I get there, and automatically everybody else is so uh, beautiful as human beings. Like, <laughs> everyone's sculpted and super toned, and I'm this, like, ethnically ambiguous bruiser who's sitting there going, oh, I'll, I'll take, I guess I'll take my shirt off. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Once they are ready, they're running a little bit behind, they get everything started. The photographer says, all right, uh, whoever wants to come up first, you know, let's let's get this going. Nobody raised their hands. None of the models, none of the professional models raised their hands. And when I saw this, I thought, okay, well, um, I don't want to be here that much longer. So my hand just kind of darts up. Uh, they, <laughs> they were super happy to get everything started. I was kind of nervous to walk up. I go, I stand in front of their white background. We get all the uh, the photos going, <laughs> you know, shirtless photos, things like that. But I'll be damned if I did not have a ton of fun with all of these people. Even if I didn't get the job, which I don't know, I, I don't think I, I did. I don't think I'm the right pick for it. I hope I showed them that I'm not, you know, uh, as we say on the show, nobody likes a, an actor or model seeking desperation. I just love the experience. <laughs> They're like, how, how long have you been modeling for? On and off for 10 years, but mainly, you know, I'm holding fast food <laughs> or something. So, uh, I, sorry, quick anecdote. I just had to tell you all about that. It was a lot of fun. Hey, if I was cast in it, I'll let you know probably by the next episode. So we'll see. Now, outside of that, let's get to why you're really here. You are here because you are huge fans of The Last of Us. You are huge fans of the Arkham series video games. You're huge fans of Batman The Long Halloween. Or you're huge fans of Uncharted 4. Because we are sitting down today, we are having a very sort of stream of consciousness interview with Troy Baker, this really amazing voice actor and musician. Uh, <laughs> this is not our standard format, because once we started the recording, we had about an hour together. And he... Uh, he asked me after we had introductions, like, hey, are you recording? I said, no. <laughs> he told me, well, you might want to record just in case because he, he's so well-spoken and he his thoughts are so succinct that it'd be a shame to just miss out on anything that could have happened. So we started this episode uh, more informal than our already informal structure, and I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot from him. He is so, like I said, he's so well-spoken. His experiences have really formed you know who he is as not only a performer but a person and he really delivers that on this episode just kind of going into his process where he came from how he got started people he's learned from uh whether it's you know people in his personal professional life or people from history we talk about you know historical figures and he's he's incredibly intelligent so i don't know where else to to go with this i just i have to get straight to the recording because all of you are going to love having him on the show. Let's let's just get right to it. I hope you enjoy. Let's sit down and talk with Troy Baker. Just in case. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? This is what I've learned with like doing stuff with with Austin Wintry. We do that podcast, you gotta hear this and, and yeah. uh, our podcast that we do with a lot of Pierce and Mike Bithel and Austin. It's just kind of one of those things like when we stop recording, either before or after, it's like, man, I wish we had recorded that. And then there's also other times where it's like, 
I'm really glad we didn't record that. Uh, I, we could end each other's careers, basically. That <laughs> podcast, both of those podcasts are nothing basically but just blackmail fodder for whenever we decide to not be friends anymore. It's like, we'll end you. Yeah. I have um, all of this footage on a hard drive. It. Just all of the footage. <laughs> uh, that's kind of my life. If if most people had seen the behind the scenes stuff for Uncharted Four, <laughs> oh god, seriously, it has yeah, to be somewhere. It's all though, the between right? takes. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope those cameras that shot the behind the scenes uh, were burned and buried, um, and the people who operated them uh, were like, did the the men in <clears throat> men in black thing where it's like you're just looking at this. You're Red light white. thing. Tom Lee Jones does that. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're off and running. Uh, yeah, we I are. Feel man. It's a weird thing because it's noon for me. Yeah. But it feels weird to not do like a, a podcast or have a conversation without a cup of coffee. But I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, am I going to regret this? No. As far as like your energy levels? Like, like or just yeah, like I mean, stuff like, coming I, out of nowhere. I've done really well about... Um, I was bad about like I would do copious amounts of coffee and it would be the first thing that I that would do when I woke up. And I I got into this this pattern over the last um I guess it's been this year and it wasn't like a new year's resolution or anything but it was just I decided to I've been really hip to this podcast called Huberman Lab and um it's this guy out of a professor out of uh, uh Stanford who is all about body hacking and and our patterns and behavior and our physiological and biological age and stuff. It's, it's yeah. really, really cool. Especially as you get older, it's like, I want to learn about that shit. Um, but one of the things he talked about was being able to stave off uh, intake of caffeine for, if you can, as long as possible, but like a minimum of 30 minutes to an hour. And so I started doing it and I noticed a difference in like my, my output. Like, like I, a natural I, boost in energy once you're yeah, up, and, up and going. And I, I smoked for 25 years and oh, wow. I remember the, anyone who smokes uh, or anyone, especially who quit the fear of like, what happens? Like my, my worst nightmare was like being like Tom Hanks and Castaway, And, <laughs> and like the day that you open up that last pack of cigarettes, you're like, Oh man, tomorrow's going to be a bad day. <laughs> and so I just, I never want to be tied to anything yeah. that and i have kind of throughout my life to where i feel like i've um some some things like for a while i was you know you're in colorado um most states it's legal i'm not defaming myself any man but I, I went through a period of my life where i was smoking weed every day and i didn't smoke weed until i was in my 30s um but oh, it really like yeah like <laughs> I, it was the weirdest thing it was i was with some people and i, I think it was like probably 35 or 36 and it was just a good hang with some good friends. And one of my friends looked at me and says, dude, tonight is the night. I went, I don't know. Maybe goes, no, tonight's the night. <laughs> and I got hyped for the first time. And it was cool. It was fun. It was terrifying. It was amazing. And it was everything that I didn't think it was going to be and everything that I thought it could be. And it was whatever. Uh, but I, I hit this point where I became, I like being connoisseurs of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I'll do this with hats. I'll do it with wine. I'll do it with bourbon. I'll do it with scotch, whatever. And so I, I, I was that same way <clears throat> with weed. And then I realized that there was, I, I didn't remember the last day that I, that I hadn't. And I would treat it as such. I was like, this is my nightcap. This is what I'm going to do to help me go to sleep. And then I realized that I started feeling I needed it to go to sleep. And so ever since I quit smoking and then went from, I went from smoking to vaping and that was oh, just God. worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, and is it is, uh, if you're vaping dude I, or dudette, whatever, uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was an apologist for it and I can't tell you enough. Stop. Um, I remember when I was a kid, like Yul Brenner, the guy that played King and I and a bunch of other yeah. stuff. He had Westworld. A, yeah, well, no, he was dead by Westworld. Well, the original Westworld. Yeah, the original right. one. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, <laughs> no, show. like, that was a time before HBO. Um, he had this, uh, uh, advert that went out on TV and it was just very simple. Uh, he was right before he died. He says, don't smoke. And that's all he said. And so I, <clears throat> I know what it's like to give up something. And so ever since I did that, I'll do just random break checks where I'm like, who's got who by the tail here. And so I, I just stopped smoking weed. I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. And so now I'm kind of like doing that in random parts of my life where, I like patterns. I wake up in the morning and I, um, I do these three things. I do, I, I, I 
kind of messed up my back. And so every morning I do these like basic movements to kind of help my body get moving. And then I sit down and I read um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, uh, which I've read. This will be my second go through. If you haven't read it, I strongly recommend it. Uh, It's 487 entries uh, written by what is regarded as the greatest Roman emperor, if not one of the greatest leaders of all time. And it's written to like the last five years of his life. And here's the king of the world. The guy has all the resources available to him. You liked how we just jumped straight into this, guys? Um, he has all the resources. He has <laughs> all the, the money. He has all the power, all of the wealth, all of the he's – he's king of the world. And every morning or every night, <clears throat> he gets up and he writes to himself, never meant to be published, never meant to be read by anybody else. But it's just basically each entry is this short, sometimes one line or a paragraph of him just going, you have got to get your shit together. And that's at a man at 55 and 58 in that position. So it, it, it gives me a little patience with myself when I tweet out something stupid and the whole internet goes boom. Or, uh, you know, uh, to realize that we're, we're all in works in progress. And, and, and I, I think I have a tendency to not be patient with myself and, and expect myself to be perfect. And therefore, when somebody calls that out, and says that I'm not, I immediately have the tendency to lend credence to that. And it, 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 um, it rocks me more than I thought it would. But that's kind of the whole thing about being an actor. But what a wonderful preamble to begin this conversation. <laughs> I have no idea. You, you have like a whole list of conversations like, Jesus, I'm just throwing all those out. Um, no, no, this weed and Marcus Aurelius and coffee. So we're off to <laughs> this, a great start. This show is built off of being very informal. It's it's an actor who's cool. been doing it for for ten years, talking to you know writers, actors, producers who've been doing it for much longer. Have had you know measured amounts of success, depending on who I'm talking to. And it's it's yeah. just it's just a conversation, like you said, man. You have coffee. I had my coffee already, uh, right but I had my water. So it's, it's wait. So you had your coffee, a coffee. So it's like you had one for the day. Is that kind of where you're at? Yeah, you're I, right I can't do Same. more than one coffee a day. I used to. So like when I was uh, like full time student, personal training, I had multiple coffees throughout the day. Yeah. And now you know I'm like a week into uh, another intermittent fasting regimen. So I'm trying to stick away from caffeine Same. too early. So with brunch. And my first meal, I'm just like, okay, I'll have a small cup of coffee yeah. and then maybe tea. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I can't, I can't do it, man. It, I, I, I've noticed I like you're talking about getting older. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it makes you? you jittery. Uh, I'm turning 30 in May. Oh, bro. Your 30 is going to be awesome. <laughs> if my, and I say this often, so people probably heard me say it, but if I knew that my 30s uh, were going to be as cool as they were, I would have skipped my 20s. Um, but you, obviously you can't, you need to. You need that experience. Uh, you need that time to, and you're like, my 20s were all about who am I, and um, my 30s were all about figuring out, okay, I think I know who I am, now what do I want? And then your 40s are, go and get it. Um, so I have no idea what my 50s will look like, but my 40s have been awesome. It's, it's, it's I, I like getting older, um, and I feel like when I hit 40, I was in one of the worst states of health that I'd ever been in. I, I, I literally thought, and no exaggeration, I thought that I was dying. And like getting my affairs in order kind of thing. And it turned out that I just had this, uh, this weird uh, bug and went to a nutritionist and that kind of set me on the path of, uh, of getting healthy. And I kind of adopted this creed of like, I'm going to be fittest in my 40s. Um, and I am like, I, I changed the way that I ate. I changed the way that I slept. I changed the way that I worked out before it was all about, I went from being super, super skinny and, and getting picked on, you know, all growing up and not athletic at all to I'm going to go bro. And there's some pictures of me like at, at the peak of it where it's like, did you get stung by a bee? Because you don't look like, you know, muscle bound. You just look like somebody you, you're allergic to something. Um, and so I was kind of figuring myself out now. And now everything that I do, I, I train almost every day. Um, but it's more about. I don't know, man. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm, I did so much stuff to my body when I was younger to, to not respect it. And I, I want to make sure that I got, a, I got an almost four year old boy and I want to be able to throw him up and pick him up and, and run with him because he loves to run for as long as I can. And I've seen dads that are not much older than I, that can't do that. And that, that crushes me to think that would be a reality. So I have to be as active as he is for as long as he can be and as long as I can be. So that's, that's kind of my, my motivator for, for everything that I do. And I think that bleeds into every aspect of my life as well. 
I mean, you look fantastic, man. Honestly, <laughs> it's, <laughs> he's always like, yeah, I train every day. It's no big deal. Uh, it no, is, dude, it is, you, man. There's times when I, I, I look forward to it to a certain extent. And, and then I get there and my, my trainer's name is Dan. And um, he has this whole, he and his partner Raul had this whole part or had this whole um, philosophy about working out. Uh, but it is never easy. And it's, it's a lot of it is I'm going to do that. Like that's sorry, man, but that's kind of stupid. And five minutes later, I'm sweating trying to do it because it's learning how to move properly as opposed to just trying to move to impress. And which by the way, if you're a gym rat guys, I had this epiphany in the shower. (sighs) Work out, be healthy. But if you're doing that to try to appeal to somebody it will always backfire on you because at some point, unless they are absolutely in step with you, you're just opening them up for insecurity. <laughs> so don't <laughs> let it be the only thing that's in your life. Like be healthy, but yeah. do that for yourself um, as opposed to, hey, look at me muscles just w- will always backfire some, at some point in the relationship. And it doesn't matter, guy or girl. Uh you will eventually get to the point where they're just like, yeah, can you just not go to the gym today? Because I don't feel good about my body and you looking great is not helping. So it's a little bit of friendly <laughs> advice from me. Anyway, back well, to like, the conversation. I, well, now I'm curious, man. I mean, it's um, as far as, you know, you talking about your, your trainer, is this like primal movement based or is this doing complex movements? Are you doing Tabata hit? Like what's, it sounds like they're giving you just curveballs left and right. And you're letting your Every, body adapt to it. Every workout is different. And okay. the cool thing is that every workout is my wife and I work out together. And oh. so the things that she will do are completely different than the things that I will do. And I found out a few months ago that I was having like some back issues. And I was like, what is going on? And I found out that I have four herniated discs. And I was like, oh, that may be one of the reasons why. Um, and they're like, you don't need surgery necessarily, but let's just make sure that we're not, if you're trying to pick up heavy weight, you could be exacerbating the issue. So my workout is tailored for my body specifically, my age, my height, my abilities, my strength, my, my back, my dysfunctions, all of it. And so you should really check it out. Vici Perf, at Vici Perf. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to give them a plug. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and what's funny is I, I started changing my entire uh, um, algorithm with an Instagram. And now it's all about, dude, you must have the worst back ever because all I see on my timeline now are just scrolls like how to fix your back. Hey, your back can feel better. You have rounded back to <laughs> thoracic mobility, but everything that I do is based on, it's not necessarily primal movement, although there is a lot of just like body weight stuff that we do. Um, but it's all about mobility and functional strength. Um, and being able to like the, the, most people, the reason why they have back issues is it has nothing to do with their back, it has everything to do with core. And it, it, it applies to even being an actor or any yeah. kind of creative where it's like, who are you at your core? And if your core is not strong, then you, I, I, as an actor, will be blown by every wind and wave of, of Metacritic or, or Twitter or, or um, reviews or even direction that I can get. Um, so to me, it's, it's, it's not about the okay i go to the gym and this is one aspect of my life and then i go to work and that's one aspect of my life and i have my family and that's one aspect of my life the way you do one thing is the way you do everything and i want to make sure that the way that i'm approaching everything in life is uniformly the same i started taking cold showers yes oh my god i hated it hated it (laughs) it's not fun at first huh i literally this morning (laughs) no it's not and and it honestly it never gets easier but it does get more desirable like i i was taking a shower and my wife took a shower before me and so i came in i was like ah she's like water too cold like no i can't it's too hot like i'm waiting for it to cool off um and there's there's look at that there's there's great science behind um taking a cold shower, but I laughed about it for the longest time and made fun of it. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing. And then I actually saw the results of it for myself. And, and also just, you know, there's data to support the fact that it's, it's really, really beneficial. Um, I don't get sick, knock on wood. Um, I, I, I feel like my, my body functions better. Um, my mind functions better. Um, but yeah, there's, there's all of these things where I'm trying to be holistic about the way that I approach that. And, and that, bleeds into work it it bleeds into i've i've been going kind of non-stop for the last six months really since october uh my last kind of 
lull was was September, and I went from shoot to shoot to shoot, and those were in varying time zones. Oh, so I went from shooting in LA to shooting in London to shooting um, in Europe, and then uh, kind of flying back and forth in between. Um, it just I've been I've been I'm, I'm grateful, um, but it's also it's it's a um, it's been a real struggle for me to kind of focus on boundaries and the hardest thing for me to do. And I, I can't remember who the quote is attributed to, but one of the most, most of the problems of mankind arise from the inability to sit in a quiet room alone. And the, the benefit of just being able to, like, it's hard for me, man. I, I went outside yesterday with this beautiful weather here in LA and we've got a, a wonderful backyard that we're working very hard to maintain and, and, and make a kind of a little paradise for ourselves. And I sat outside, no phone, no book, no anything, just, just sat outside and just did nothing. And I could do that for about five minutes. I was like, do, 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 do. <laughs> and, and that to me is, is just as hard as like going to the gym and, and seeing how much I can deadlift. Cause it's, it's about how can my mind just be still? Can my mind have nothing to do and that be okay? And that's, that's a real big challenge for me. I mean, do you have another another way of almost making that a priority outside of sitting in the backyard? Is there a way for you to meditate and not do anything for a little bit later in the day? Or do you still find that so... Because I can't even imagine doing that. That sounds horrible to me. I do. I know. <laughs> like, a torturous thing to sit in a I can't just sit and not backyard. do anything. <laughs> it is... I mean, I start in the morning. And that's one of the reasons why the cold shower is is like purposefully making yourself making myself uncomfortable um so that i realize that i'm a willing participant in everything that i'm doing um nothing is happening to me um epictetus was one who said that there you know basically you can divide everything with between uh, two columns things that are in your control and things that are outside of your control and the only two things that are inside of your control are your thoughts and your reactions um my Everything else is outside of my control. So if I could just focus on this first column, that's a full-time job for me. Like me just trying to wrangle my thoughts and look at them without any judgment and just go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about this right now or I'm feeling this this way. What is my response to that? Am I going to um, freak out and, and complain about it? Am I going to um, say that I, I, I've started decatastrophizing my language? Um, there's a friend of mine who's a great author named Dan, uh, um, and I say that with my brain being able to work great. Don Robertson, looking at his book right here. Sorry, Don. Uh, Donald Robertson wrote a book called How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. And, and my buddy, uh, Jack Septicai, turned me on to this book after I've been reading Marcus Aurelius. And it just gave all of this context um, to being able to understand a different way of, of thinking. Um, but for me, applying kind of some of those tenements of stoicism or... Um, stillness um has benefited me it's it's hard for me to get my mind to just stop and 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 um not buzz for a little while um i got distracted by i was thinking whatever the quote from don robertson was man sorry but i, I he, he did this i can't show it to you because it's not out yet but uh he he did this graphic novel about marcus aurelius and uh he sent me an advanced copy of it and i can't wait to to dive into it. And so I, I wanted to bring him up and then I just looked over the book and I was like, what the fuck was I talking about? <laughs> when is, when is that my coming mind. out? Um, I think he's looking at it coming out in June, but he's worked okay. like the last three years on this. Oh, wow. um, and it's, most of the people don't know it. Like uh, if, if I told you, you know, that that's who Richard Harris played in Gladiator, that he was actually playing Marcus Aurelius and that that was a real person. Um, it completely changed like so much about this story uh, for me. And there's so much about it that is not historically accurate, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, I, I, I do believe in observing and, and studying history so that I can better understand um, kind of like where we're at. And the more that I look at it, Oh, decatastrophizing my language. That's what it was. Um, he talks about that uh, being able to say, it's almost impossible to, to complain without using hyperbole. Um, cause if you, yeah. if you are complaining, you probably have to make it sound way worse than it actually was. Um, 
as opposed to uh, traffic was, you know, normal. There were a lot of cars on the road. As traffic was a nightmare. Yeah, there you go. I was <laughs> devastated to find out they didn't have any donuts. I and it's, it's like, man, I don't want that to be. And it has nothing to do with like teaching other people how to say this or or correcting people. Um, it's just for me. I noticed that if I started using words like that was a nightmare. I was miserable. I w- that was devastated. Um, I I found myself like feeling more bogged down and, and bothered by shit that was going on in the world. Um, and there, there, there are things that are happening in the world right now. We can look at what ha- is happening in Ukraine and it is objectively um, and, and literally a tragedy. What, what, what is happening on all fronts? Um, the fact that we now have a, and this is a true word, I believe a refugee crisis that is happening we have an invading force that is attacking a peaceful people uh, without cause. We have um, people that have lost their lives um, on both sides and, and people that are fighting for um, this mission that they both believe are right. And, and there's a tragedy and all of that. I can look at that and go tragedy. But if I allow myself to go, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Or it is just the world is upside down. Or I will start believing that as my narrative. And people have heard me say this all the time. I believe that we are storytellers. In our genetics, in our DNA, we are predisposed to being storytellers. It's the reason why we created language in the first place. It's the reason why we wrote on cave walls to tell our stories. Like, I killed this woolly mammoth. It was fucking awesome. It almost killed me. I got to tell you this story. Or food's over there. Danger's over there. Being able to convey our story is how we stay together and how we get along as 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 a as a species, and so we, I feel, have developed that over you know from Dionysus on. Like we we created theater to do that. We created oral traditions. We created music. We created paintings to just find a way to better tell our story. And where I'm at is being able to now do that as an actor or as a director. And being able to craft stories within a very specific corner of the industry, but if if I come in and I and I allow myself to be a bad storyteller, and my stories are filled with catastrophic language of how miserable I am because of traffic, or because I had to wait thirty extra seconds because someone at Starbucks was having a bad day and took a little bit longer getting my coffee. It's stuff like that. I feel like that's making me a bad storyteller as opposed to how can I be empathetic? That's a better story. Finding out is like, I, I asked this person one time at Starbucks, I was like, you, you're getting their ass kicked. And they now were looking at me as an enemy because everybody was an enemy because the world was against them. And can, can I help you? And it was just that. I was like, as opposed to going, hey, uh, you want to change your ad or whatever that could have been for a response. I was like, everything okay? There's people behind me. And they're like, hurry up. It's like, everything okay? It's had a really bad day. I'm like, totally get it, man. It's like, I one, one thing that my wife does, specifically speaking of Starbucks, and I challenge anybody to do this if you can, um, if you go through a drive-thru, pay for the car behind you. Mm-hmm. And just be like, can I get theirs as well? They're like, it's like 20 bucks. I'm like, not a problem. Um, or it's like, it's four bucks. Or they just got, you know, an egg. Whatever, but but the feeling of rolling up to the window—you have no idea what the car behind you's day is like—and for them to go, it's already been taken care of by the car in front of you. Think about if that if that happened to you, your your day just got a little bit better. It's like finding a parking meter in L.A. that has time on it. You're like, it's a miracle. <laughs> I believe in anything. I can believe that you know Jesus is real and Santa Claus is coming tonight. And I, I'm trying to. That's that. Those are the stories that I'm trying to tell. And I don't always get it right. I, I have, over the last couple of years, have found great ways to tell, you know, <laughs> great efforts to tell to try to tell a good story and great ways to fail at doing that as well. And, and I've learned from that. Um, but at the end of the day, that's, that's all that I'm, I'm trying to do is just tell a good story. Yeah. And, and it seems, uh, I was listening to, an interview with uh, it was Idris Elba 
two weeks ago he's wearing a you know hawaiian shirt definitely out of his his normal wheelhouse of you know what he does but he's your trench coat <laughs> yeah he like he looked at the camera and said hey man a lot of stuff's going on i just i want to be you know as positive as i can i want to give back to people so you know i'll lay back on myself a little bit i'll do this at like pay it forward i'll make sure you know hey if somebody's feeling a little off you know if they're having a bad day just open myself up to them like i at my day jobs i I run events and I work at a brewery. I just serve beer. You know, if I'm getting my, my ass kicked and somebody said, Hey, is everything okay? That would make my day hundred percent. Right. You know, like it's just recognizing that we are all still humans. And when you brought up, you know, how that makes you uh, kind of improves your storytelling. Is there a way for you to directly implement that into your storytelling? Is that like on the way to the studio or is that something you save for, say like the joker or save for i guess not really the joker that'd be a really well no i mean it, but um i've had those situations where someone's coming in and and I, I, a huge light bulb moment went on for me when um a friend of mine is a great actor um he's just one of those guys he's just been a career actor kind of glenn Morshower. and he said if you think you're nervous going into that audition try being on the other side of the table yeah, because you want to get that role. They have to cast that role. If they don't, it's costing them money to to rent out this space and pay for that camera and that reader. And they've got producers that are breathing down on their necks saying, if you don't cast this person, we may cut the character and it changes the script. And there's all of these pressures that that most times actors are not even aware of because we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on the work that we've done and we're not thinking about other people. The number one thing that I feel um, one of the most fundamentally uh, perspective changing um, pieces of advice came from um, Steve Zahn. We did a, a Western together and we've, we've stayed friends uh, to this day. And I, I tell him often, I was like, man, I don't think you realized how much that had an impact on me. But we were doing what's called a mini move, which means we we're going from this set to this set. And it wasn't like a big company move base camp was staying where it was we just did, literally needed to go from here to over to here and maybe like you know two or three football fields like 300 yards not big. Oh, okay. and uh they said well we have transpo vans that will take you guys but we were on horses we're like no we'll just take our horses and we start kind of going and, and steve kind of leads off and we always call him captain because that was his his character's name was captain uh uh captain gus and we're like, where are you going, Captain? They've got to set up cameras and lights. And, and uh, it's like, it's going to take them forever. And he just looked back and he goes, never be the one they're waiting on, boys. And that to me is reflective of someone who has worked enough and most likely probably somewhere along the way messed up or someone had to point it out to him to not be the one that they're waiting on. Meaning I have to be thinking about other people and realize that I'm not the most important person on set that there are other people that are busting their ass and working maybe even harder than I am um, to do their job. And if they have to wait on me, that's, that's me being in the wrong. So never be the one they're waiting on. And that applies to not going on a big, you know, Western, but also just going down to the booth or even stepping into my booth and, you know, doing a podcast or doing a session or whatever. The, the thing that I, I realized that I had done is that I had made a habitual pattern and, and therefore a character uh, trait about being late, so much so that people would joke about it and say he's on Baker time. Oh, wow. And what I would do is I would come in, and most of the time it had nothing to do with no aliens had invaded. I just got out of bed late or I uh, was dragging ass getting ready or whatever, and I just showed up late. And, but I can't just go, oh yeah, I was just like, I just, no, I just didn't care about being here on time. I had to create a story. Oh my, did you guys not, you didn't see the 15 ambulances? <laughs> oh, I need, I, I need a moment. That, that shook me. Like, well, I, I can't believe what just happened. And I, I am just, I am devastated. No, 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 no. Just so that they would go, it's okay. So I, I put the onus on them to make me the one who's okay and in the clear and so i would come in and go i am so sorry ah i am so sorry guys because it with the story that i tell and if i say i'm so sorry 
your line better be, it's okay. Yeah. Otherwise, you're an what an asshole to not forgive them. They stuck in traffic for an hour and a half to get here. Oh, it's okay. We're totally fine. Oh, thank you guys so much. Oh, just so do you need anything? No, I'm 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 fine. I just just want to get to work. I'm so sorry. I was creating this whole false narrative. So now I don't apologize for being late. You just walk in and say, all right, I'm here. Number one, I don't, I'm not late. But if I am, there better be a reason, but it doesn't matter what the reason is. And I walk in, I go, thank you so much for your patience. I really appreciate your patience. Thank you guys. All about them, not about me. Because the second I go, I'm so sorry. I don't, I'm not pulling for them to let me off the hook. It, someone has said to them, well, that's a sign of respect. I'm like, well, no, the sign of respect is showing up late or is showing up on time. The disrespect is, is being late. So you've already established the fact that you don't respect them. Well, I mean, traffic was terrible. This is the first time you've gone in traffic in Los Angeles? No. <laughs> then it's probably you know what it's like and you give yourself time. So the number one thing that I did to shift was I started showing up early if I could. Get in. Hey, wow. You're, we're not ready for you yet. Totally fine. I'm just going to grab a cup of coffee. And now with COVID, it's been a little bit weird because most studios are like, you can't come in here until we're done. Yeah, we have a scheduled um, it's time. Like, totally fine. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll set on my phone. I started, you know, 664 days ago, I started doing uh, uh, French on, on Duolingo. Oh, wow. And it's one of my morning things. And if I've got an extra five or 10 minutes, then I'll, you know, get a little bit more XP. I'm a gamer. I love, you know, trying to, I don't need to be in the top 10, but if I can that week, that'd be awesome. So everything that I'm doing is, and we haven't talked at all about really being on a set or being in a booth besides me telling one story about Steve Zahn, but all of the things that I'm talking about, cutting back on coffee, getting more sleep, working out, um, starting my day by, by reading Marcus Aurelius, not being late, those are all, I would say, the critical things that I can apply to me doing my job because whether I am directing or whether I'm acting, either way, I have a fun I have a, I have a responsibility to the people that are there. And as far as like paying it forward, I like to make people laugh, especially if we're doing something that's really, really heavy. Because if everybody stays, and, and we've seen a lot of articles lately come talk about this, where it's like the whole um, method. And there's a lot of books, I don't think I have them on me, and a method or madness. There's a bunch of books that talk about method acting. And I always think about the famous story with uh, Lawrence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman on Marathon Man, where Dustin Hoffman would run around the, the set while they were calling rolling. And so that when they were calling action, <laughs> he's out of breath. And Lawrence Olivier said, my dear boy, have you tried acting? <laughs> and there's, there's, a, there's a job that I'm doing right now that it will probably be the most challenging thing that at least to, to, to this point I've ever done. Physically, mentally, it's, it's stretching me in a really, really cool way. Um, and I realized that I was hanging on a little too tight to it, that I was, I was waking up and I was living it and breathing it and studying it and, and just trying to stay in it, not from a method perspective, but because I felt like that's what the role required. And... On uh, one week of the shooting, I I kind of snapped. Like I I had all of these external things that normally would have just rolled off, really really affected me. And it was the end of the day, and it was a rehearsal, fortunately. But it, it I showed my ass, man. It was not it was not me at my best, and uh, it wasn't like Christian Bale, which I could tell that story at another time. But it was definitely <laughs> one of those things where it was like Troy is not happy. And we wrapped and the director pulled me off to the side and he was like, can we talk? And I said, yeah. And so we talked it out and I immediately apologized for that. I will apologize um, for my behavior and um, realized where I need to make uh, amends. And, and I apologized to everybody on the crew and, and, and it wasn't as bad as I'm making it out. But for me, it was just not, it was not in, in line with my principles. Mm. And I came in the next day and we had a great shoot. And it was awesome. And I realized that I'd been just kind of like maybe 
maybe just looking at this a little too um, under a microscope too much. And so I changed my pattern. And what I did was I changed my morning pattern. And I didn't wake up and do the same thing that I did as far as preparation. I just trusted that character was inside and I knew the script and I knew my dialogue and I knew my blocking um, and I was just going to trust. And I also had a great director that was going to help me. I had a great DP that would help me know where I needed to be for camera. So I didn't have to have all these things memorized. And the most important thing was at lunch, I would, instead of doing research or material or studying the script or whatever, I watched poker and I went back through and I used to love watching poker. And so I went back through and started watching the old world series of poker starting from like 2003 where Chris oh Moneymaker God. won it. All the final tables. Uh, and that's what I would do for my lunch. I would just kind of go, I would throw on my iPad and I would be like, let's watch some people, you know, go Kings over aces. <laughs> see what happens." <laughs> and that one hour respite of, just I kind of unplugging. Um, you, you asked about meditation earlier. That was it. It's it's realizing that um, I was operating out of a place of fear, where I was afraid that people wouldn't like me and this character, and that um, it wouldn't be good enough, and that I, I wasn't good enough. And there was all of this just fear, as opposed to like, well, you can just trust that it's going to be okay, and that you have people that are surrounding you that will not let you be bad, uh, let me be bad. And so I just started watching poker and it made the one of the biggest um <laughs> biggest changes. And I'm I'm almost done on I'm catching up to 2010 now. So oh I got to see my buddy Lou Diamond Phillips go super deep. He cashed, he like uh, went out like 167th place out of 6,500 people. Holy crap. And I texted him, I was like, dude, you did so great. He was like, that was like 15 years ago. <laughs> like, I know, but you know, I'm just catching up. So there you go. You did great. 2009, I guess it was. Going back through the archives, having fun with it. Yeah, man, it's fun, super fun. <laughs> and to see all the affliction and like the Ed Hardy shirts, you're just like, jeez, what were we thinking? The early aughts were our 70s, man. It was not good. Ugh. Oh, yeah. I, I Building off of that, I, uh, I got back into rollerblading after, I don't know, 13 years as my new form of cardio. Right on. And uh, just going back and looking at some of the old videos, man. I'm like, yeah, that the uh, man, the clothing has changed quite a Dude, bit between in a very short amount thing. of time. Yeah, I'm like, oh, when did cargo shorts disappear? Because I feel like I'm, I'm the only one in Colorado with cargo shorts now. You can't uh, be. I thought there was like <laughs> I feel state like requirement. I, I feel like if you're closer to the foothills, yeah, probably. But uh, I, I, dude, I, I'm curious sure. about when you initially, you know, started performing because you know, going from uh being on set for the first time to kind of going through those trials and tribulations of of an actor of hey don't be late don't be the person they wait on what was your first experience like when you're working on a physical set for the first time can you recall like oh, what yeah. what that day was like any mistakes oh, yeah. that were made or I, i'm interested to see what that was like for you man it, it all started like my, my my path is is weird and odd and it's i i hope people who who watch or listen to this uh take comfort in it because as i'm sure you've seen everybody's path is different and the way that they got into this is is vast and varied um some people you know went to juilliard and they that this is what they've done and they did theater in new york and they just happened to find themselves you know now having a profession and a career off of this and other people are like i don't know i just walked into one you know you look at the story of like harrison ford of being a carpenter and like they, i don't know i'll just do this and next thing you know he's like this iconic character and there's, there's so many stories about um different people's different paths mine was i was a musician i was convinced to my core that our band was going to be the next big whatever and we were always one um showcase away or, or one call away from from you know getting the big deal but we had a great community of of other bands and, and musicians that we were tight with in that area and one of them happened to be this guy dave mcgarry who worked for a, a company called gearbox and he was the audio director there and he's like we're doing this game and i think you got a cool voice and you should come in and and do this i was like okay and so i came in and i voiced this character matt baker for a game called brothers in arms and we didn't have a booth. We had a mic that they dropped the cable in over the ceiling. Um, no, they had to shut off the AC. There was no light in there. So it was dark. And I was doing my best to like read with like a little pen light to the script. And we just did this game. Um, uh, 
I guess that was Road to Hill 30. And next thing I know, they're doing a commercial with that. And they're like, you, we need to give you dollars for this. I'm like, I don't know how to negotiate that. So I was like, can anybody tell me where to get an agent? I had started working with Funimation and doing anime. And Chris Sabat um, was the one who brought me into that. And next thing I know, I'm getting an agent and she's like, do you want to do uh, any on-camera stuff? I was like, I don't know. Does it pay? And she's like, yeah, go down to Houston. I had to drive four and a half hours from Dallas to Houston to this you know, open cattle call. Um, and I go into this bank building or whatever. And it, the character's name was Martin Hannell. And it was for a, an ABC pilot that never went to season, um, never even got picked up. I don't think they even aired it. Um, Maybe they did. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but it was for a, it was a truck driver. This guy. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I walk in, just looking like me. And then there's this dude that that it was like so many people. There's like 15 people that are casting the entire thing. So it's like, it's like this variety and buffet of of different characters. And this guy walks in, and and I could tell what he had done. He was wearing a wife beater and coveralls. Oh Jesus! And he had decided on the way in to just rub his hands on his tires and like you know, get him all dirty. So I'm looking at him and then the door bursts open and this, this small but powerful woman steps out and she was like, God damn it, Sarah, where's my lunch? I've been waiting for an hour and a half. I'm going to see all these people. I haven't eaten. I can't fucking believe this. Who's next? And I was like, me. She goes, get in here. So I go in. She's like, God. She's like setting up the camera. I can't believe this. She's like, all right, go. And I realized I had one shot at this. And so I just stared at her. She said, I said, go. And she realized that I was in the scene. She's like, oh, tell me what you know, Martin. And I just went for it. We get to the scene wow. and she was like, okay, that was perfect. Can you stay for the producers? I'm like, yeah, sure. I can stand for you know, whatever. She goes, great. Don't do anything different. Do exactly what you did, just do it for them. So I stayed extra two or three hours. I read for the producers. I booked the job. And next thing I know, they're like, "Oh, welcome, Mr. Baker. Uh, we we have your trailer over here." I was like, "I have a trailer." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, trailer over there." And it was a little honey wagon, you know. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Holy shit!" And I look, and out the window of my trailer, I see uh, it's Lou Diamond Phillips, and he's out hanging outside his trailer and he's smoking a cigarette. And I just quit. But it's a great it's a it's a great icebreaker. And all I knew yeah. I was I wanted to talk to Chavez y Chavez and talked about young guns with him. So I walked out, I was like, hey man, I'm so sorry, can I bum something? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, I'm like, um, and we just started talking about this. It's like, you know, it was he was the number one or I think on the show and and uh I ended up like he's like, Go buy your so he handed like five bucks. He goes, Go buy your own pack of smokes, because I kept bumming smokes from him. <laughs> Um, but we hung out and he just poured into me and he was, he was, he really took me under his wing and me being on set, I'm looking around and I kind of done some like, you know, really low rent stuff before, but like, I'm watching how camera is operating and I'm, I'm, I'm like, what does that person do? Well, it's the first AD. It's like, what's the first AD's job? And I was like, what's that guy's the audio guy? I was like, okay. Um, and so I'm picking up on all these things and it was one day shoot. And then about a month later, uh, I get this casting uh, for an independent movie that's actually shooting in, in Dallas. And uh, I, I think I find out that, that Lou was going to be the lead on it. And so he called the director and was like, I just worked with this kid. He's fantastic. And so I walked in with the audition. I didn't know this, but I walked in and the, it was mine to lose. And in the audition scene, um, I had to hold a, a, a knife to this guy's neck. And it was safetyed, but it's still in the shape of a knife, the K-bar knife. And, you know, they were like, you know, you could just, you know, you don't have to be right up on it. And I mean, I got up on it and I was just like in the guy's ear and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill you, whatever it was. And they're like, okay, cut. Um, don't ever do that again. <laughs> But it was like, you were so intense that I got it. And so I, I just, I kind of parlayed one opportunity um, into the next, but it was never like, here's the steps that you take. It was always just, I, I found myself tripping over an, a chance to fail and being brave enough to try that. 
and then just going for it. And then people overlooking some of the mistakes that I made um, and saying, if you can just fix this, that I really think you can go far. And I'm just, I'm still learning that. It's like, if, if you just will get over this aspect, if you will just let this go, if you will just trust yourself, then you can, you can be better. But it's, it's, I am still at the very precipice or the ceiling of my own ability. And I'm the only one that's able to push through it. But it's always been, the pattern has been somebody pointing out to me um, who's, who's further down the path than I, if you'll just let this go, then I think that you can be a lot better, that you can really be um, good. <laughs> I mean, do you keep a diary or anything or a journal of, of Dude, those experiences to, to kind of man, learn off of? I constantly am reminded um, there's the Daily Stoic, if, if, if you're familiar with it, who it says, um, not everyone who journals becomes a great leader, but there's never been a great leader who didn't journal. And uh, I, I, I want to do that. That's the next thing that I need to incorporate into my, um, into my, my behavior, my patterns, is, is being able to document whether it be at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day. Um, and I, I think that there's great formats to where it's like, here's a five-minute journal. And some people that works for it. For me, I, I don't want to answer necessarily a question. I, I, I wouldn't want it to be that guided. I, want it, I would want it to be like, hey, remember this. I do that a lot with um, thoughts that come to me. And, and I, I, I tell people all the time, keep a dream journal by your bed. And I do have that, or it may even just be on my phone because I'll have a dream that reminds me of a story or a script idea or a game idea or a song idea. Um, and I, I will wake up and it's, you know, put that idea down. Um, I, I feel like some of the greatest ideas I've ever had have been lost because I didn't stop what I was doing and respect the idea enough to put it down. And it's hard enough to get an idea. Um, when one finally visits me um i should respect it enough to to be able to go can you just wait just a second i just want to write this down you know alien dogs eat peanut butter and blow up the world whatever it is you know something stupid but and i may look back on it later and go that's a terrible idea but it's at least training my mind and, and my discipline to respect an idea when it comes so that more ideas will come there's a great story about the chemist who discovered the benzene ring and worked out the chemical symbol for it he worked on it for 20 years and oh. he one day just told his assistant, I'm going to have a lie down. And he took a nap for 30 minutes and he had a dream about a snake eating its own tail. And he woke up and he says, I've done it. I've, I've finally figured out the chemical symbol for this. And his assistant said, how do you like that? You work for 20 years and all you needed to do was take a 30 minute nap. And he says, what you don't understand is that visions come to prepared spirits. And training myself to be that prepared spirit so that visions will come to me and, and whether it be song ideas script ideas character ideas game ideas things that i want to build things that i want to make um the way that i can do that i can't just expect a great idea to come to me without it's the same thing why i get into the gym i would love to be able to lift x amount of weight but first i need to lift five pounds before i can lift 50 and training my body to do that is the only way that i will get to do that and training it appropriately as opposed to just like thinking that I can impress people with look at me muscles. Yeah. Well, have you ever had a moment where you have not for anyone else's sake, but for your, I guess for the sake of ego, have you ever tried to go further beyond your capabilities without kind of going through those steps first? Oh, of course. I mean, that's every job. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, and this is actually a question that I asked Lou is like, at what point in your career do you go stop? Cause like, I haven't even asked the question because you're already wrong. Cause what I hear you saying is that at some point you will think that you have arrived. And that you are now worthy of or or deserve to have X. He goes, you do it from the jump. If it's something you really believe in, then you ask for it from the jump. He was like, but it better well be something that you believe in. Um, and so I, I've operated that way to where it's like, can we just do this? And I'm like, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let's let's just do that. And sometimes it's it's good. Um, if, if it's ever been in service just to myself, typically it's been a bad idea, but when it's been something that's in service to the story or something that's in service to the project, then typically it's like people always want, I, I want to consider myself a, a problem solver. Hmm. 
And if I can do that for people, that's me doing my job. Nobody gives a shit if I can act. Nobody. Producers, directors, people don't care if Troy Baker can act. What they care about is seeing the character in a real moment in a real story. That's my job. So I have to solve the problem. And if that means that I speak less, do less, or do more, or speak more, great. But me acting better doesn't solve anybody's problems. Me being a willing participant and being the best storyteller I can, that's how I solve that problem. But I, I, the temptation for me has always been, and I did this all growing up, is like, what's the path of least resistance? What is the best way for me to look my best? Um, and I only played to my strengths. And as I get older, and my, my best friend, Travis Willingham, has been a, a really good uh, influence in this from me. Is like, you got to do what makes you tremble. And that's the one thing that has made me stronger is going, I've never tasted that. I've never, I, Travis is the, the perfect example is he comes over to my house and there's a, uh, an electric lighter that we use for candles and fireplace. And it creates a small little electric current and that's what causes the, the, the fire to happen. It's great for having kids. It's rechargeable. There's no, you know, butane oh, or whatever. Cool. And so, but it looks like a little mini cattle prod. And so Travis immediately goes, I got to touch it. <laughs> like, no, you don't. You don't. He's like, I got to know what it feels like. <laughs> and so he says, ah, <laughs> he's a kid. But that's that mentality of, I got to know if I can do that. I got to know what happens if I jump off that. I got to know um, what that feels like. I mean, he's been tased before. Um, and he, he is constantly one who pushes himself. And that's inspiring. And I, I feel that most people need to find those kind of friends in their life where, if you, if I am the smartest, most successful person in that room, I'm probably in the wrong room. I need to be, that's why I hang out with Austin Wintry. Austin Wintry is one of the most intelligent, uh, driven people that I know. And he makes me want to learn. He makes me want to be more driven. Um, and I, I feel stupid around him so many times because he's just so smart and his wealth knowledge is just so vast. And those are the people that I want to find myself around so that they inspire me to not feel better about myself, but to challenge myself and be okay with, no, I don't know that. And that's one of the hardest things that, it, that was for me to learn is to go, I don't know that. I, I've never seen that movie. No, I've, I've never read that book. I have no idea who that was. Because um, we all love to be teachers. And for someone to go, oh my God, you've, you've never seen Rocket Man? You have to see this movie. You've never seen Back to the Future? Holy shit, you have to see this movie. We all want to share in somebody's first. And so for me, being able to go submit myself to that and go, I've, I've never seen them before, has been one of the best things for me to do. But where I'm at in my career, or what I've always tried to do is go, I've never done that before, uh, and I may fail. And, and you mentioned Joker, and that was one of the opportunities for me to do that. I, I turned that thing down twice. Really? Yeah, I, I, I went to the audition and nobody knew what we were auditioning for. We got the materials when we got there and we were given a few minutes to look it over and you go in cold. And because they were so scared of it getting out, uh, what they were, because the second that you, people realized it was Joker, clearly it's going to be a Batman game. And it was, it was just a big deal. So we go in and there's all the usual suspects that are there. And you just kind of see the look of realization on everybody's face. You're like, holy shit, we're going to read for the Joker. But all it said was Jack White. And uh, not even Joe Chill. It was like it was it was like as far away from it as possible. <laughs> and so I walked in and I was like, um, "Do you guys want like Mark Hamill? Are you wanting more like this is post Heath Ledger? What what are you wanting?" And they were like, "What, what, what makes you think it's Joker?" I'm like, "Well, because I mean, like this is this is from Batman the animated series. This is from the Dark Knight. And it's like this is the Killing Joke monologue. This is the tunnel log uh, tunnel level monologue in Killing Joke. They're like, I said, so do you want like a young Mark Hamill or do you what, what are you what are you wanting?" They're like, let's just say that it would point to a Mark Hamill's Joker, but maybe like 15 years younger. I'm like, mm. all right. And I'd never done that before. And I had no idea if it, if it was going to be good or not, but I knew that I had one shot. And they were like, do you want to start with some of the simple lines? I was like, no, I want to do the Tunnel of Love monologue. Because I just, I love the killing joke and I, I wanted to know what that was, what it, what it sounded like for me doing it. And so I just broke into it and they were filming it. And so I get done. They're like, thank you very much. And I left and I was like, well, that was fun. Man, that hurt. Um, and I was down at Comic-Con uh, with one of the producers and he goes, hey, you want to go grab a beer? I'm like, sure. So we kind of walked down to the gas lamp and he goes, just to let you know, um, they're going to offer you the role. I was like, a Batman? He goes, no, 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 <laughs> of 
of Joker because I had already started doing Lego Batman. And I was like, yeah. oh, man, I don't know if I want to – I don't know if it's a good career move for me right now. I really got this great thing going with Batman. And, and he was like, yeah, you should, you should take the job, dude. I'm like, ah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And then sure enough, they offer it and I turned it down. And then uh, Ames Kirshen came, who was at the time president of Warner Brothers Games. And he invited me to come up to his office. And so I, I drove out to Burbank and I came to his office and I was like, hey, man. And he turned his monitor around and he played my audition video. And he played it back and he goes... That's really good. I'm like, thanks, man. I appreciate it. He goes, no, you don't get it. We think that's really good, and we're really smart. <laughs> and he was like, you need to get over yourself and <laughs> say yes to the job. And I realized that I was very, I was, I was being very fearful because at that point, we had Last of Us that came out. We had Bioshock Infinite that came out. Um, I, I, was, I was looking good. I was doing real good. Yeah. And if I bombed, people could go, that eh, was a fluke. Ah, now we know what he can't do. And there's some stuff that even to this day, I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. But now I at least have the thing that says, try. And you're yeah. also, there's 300 people at that studio that aren't going to let this be bad. Nobody wants it to be bad. It was going to go, see, this, this whole reason why we spent millions of dollars was to show you that Troy Baker's not as good as he thinks he is. And that has really served me well. And all of the subsequent projects that I've, I've done after that, when I've just not hung on to it as tight, and when I've trusted other people and realized that I'm not this lone ranger and I'm not a renegade, but I'm a, I'm a part of a team, I'm a collaborator, I'm a partner. Those are when I end up having the most fun. And ultimately, those are when I do my best work. Um, has nothing to do with my abilities. It has everything to do with me being able to surrender myself and recognize the abilities of those around me and sometimes that starts off with me just realizing that beyond time and do my best to solve everyone's problem <laughs> and sometimes that's just by asking someone you know how they're doing yeah. or paying for someone's coffee behind me at starbucks <laughs> i can't imagine another character being that um almost monolithic as far as auditioning but is mm. there another character in the current zeitgeist that if you had the audition for you might have the same feeling about well sure i mean i I've, I've told this story before too and I'll, it's a wonderful story to end on as well yeah yeah um shortly before that joker <laughs> um audition i was a huge fan of naughty dog games and i got a call or an email from my agent. She said, you know, you've got an audition for this new character of this game that they're doing. And she's like, I'm, you know, I'm sending you the sides right now. And I looked and it was for this guy. He's older. I'm like, why would you put me up for this? I'm not right for this at all. But I go, cause it's naughty dog and I want to get in front of them and maybe I can get like a, you know, secondary character or whatever, third character. And, um, I walk into the the building that was off to the side where they shot, you know, um, where we ended up shooting Last of Us. It's the same at the time. Uh, it's the same uh, studio where they did uh, Wizard of Oz and just like all of these, you know, such history. And I walk in and I look around the room and sat in the chairs of the waiting room all the way around was just a different embodiment of the guy on the page. And I was just like, oh, man. And I'm me. And I think I was wearing like an affliction shirt. There was, there was probably rhinestones like somewhere <laughs> on my jeans. And it was very blingy. And, um, and I, I got filled with fear. And so I literally realized that I hadn't signed in yet. So I could leave now and there's no record of me being there. Hmm. And I, I literally reached back behind me to grab the door and I turn and go like this, and I hear the casting director goes, oh, Troy, good, you're here. And I went, yep, she was there ready for you. And so I got ushered in, and I walked in, and all the way on the other side um, was Neil Druckmann, Bruce Straley, Gordon Hunt, and I think Josh Scher. Uh, I can't remember the other person that was there, maybe Ryan. And... Uh, they walk me through the scene and before I get to them, I see this girl. She's kind of pacing along the side, looks like a deer in headlights. And I said, um, 
hi, can I, can I give you a hug? <laughs> she needed a hug. She says, yeah. So I gave her a hug. I was like, I'm Troy. She's like, I'm Ashley. And we go into the scene, and I found out later that Neil scratched my name off. And Gordon Hunt said, uh, I want to go one more time. I just want to ask you a question. And he gave me some piece of advice. And he goes, great, let me see what you do with that. And so we go over for it again, and it just clicked. And they're like, okay, thank you very much. And I left. And I was like, I blew it. And I found out later that Neil had circled my name then. And he was like, that's it. We're done. But I came this close to, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm in front of you today. And one of the reasons why anybody knows who I am. And beyond the benefits to me, just that story. And anybody else could, and we're, we're going to find out how well Pedro Pascal does. Um, yeah. And I really believe he's going to do an incredible job. But that story would have been completely different. And, and most, more than anything, I'd like, I wouldn't have been a part of it. And, and the stories that people have shared with me in the aftermath of that game coming out have truly been the most deeply impactful things for me. And I'm, I'm grateful to have been a part of people's stories in that way. But it all was this close to not ever happening just because I was afraid. And so it's, it's probably the biggest piece of advice that I would give anybody else. And the same thing that Travis William told me is just, you got to do what makes you tremble and let don't let fear be the reason why you don't do something. Um, Cause again, at the end of the day, if you get the job, there's a lot of people that are going to make sure that you don't look bad. They don't screw it up. They don't screw it up. <laughs> I, I, that's fantastic, man. Thank you for, for sharing your time. I know we went a little bit overboard, All good. Um, but I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing a, a good hour or so with, uh, with the show. I have one more thing, please. And that's our awkward goodbye. If you mind join me with that. Uh, yeah, this, uh, for those listeners who don't know, this is just uh, me doing a silent Wayne's world countdown. And when I point to you, just give me your best verbal awkward goodbye. And, uh, yeah, then we'll say goodbye. Dude. I'm all about it. All right, man. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. In. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, um, more than anything, I, I think I wanted to just make sure that I